0: So
1: introduce us, Max,
0: and away we'll go. Let's see. So this is weird. So hi, listeners. Welcome back to It's Not Just In Your Head podcast by therapists talking about mental health, capitalism, yada, yada. It's a weird episode because we're actually on Zoom recording for the first time ever today. So I can see people. They can see me. It's different. Listeners can't see anybody. Um, We had some troubleshooting kind of tech weird issues going on. But uh, today is really, really exciting because we have three people from... I think it's called Alliance Psychological Services. Is that right, everybody? Yes. Um, it's almost, it's probably like almost the only therapist-led worker co-op in the universe. <laughs> like there, there's probably like maybe a handful scattered out somewhere else, but um, it's going to be a really interesting conversation because um, Harriet and I are really enthusiastic about worker co-ops in general. And this is our field. This is our, our people, uh, therapists, uh, mental health providers, so um, we are going to to these three, so um, I guess just whichever order, whoever talks over the other person, who would like to introduce themselves first and and, and then you can explain what you do.
2: I'm Juliette, my pronouns are she, her, hers. I am a therapist um, working with adults. I am a baker. I am a parent to many plants, some of whom have survived. And, <laughs> and I'm, a, I'm a member of Alliance Psychological Services of New York. Uh,
3: my name is Kara. I am the administrator here at Alliance Psychological Services of New York. Um, so I kind of mainly do the books. So anything financial related to the organization um, just isn't too hard in a service-based industry. Um, I also am the HIPAA Compliance Officer, and I'm also known as the Chief Networking Officer. I like to talk and talk to people. Um, And I have been with Alliance for two years now.
4: I'm Billy, my pronouns are he, him, his. I am a clinical psychologist, and I am the first member of Alliance Psychological Services. And just so, happy and excited to be able to work in this fashion with this uh, set of relationships with my coworkers. Um, This is, this is something and and we'll talk about this more in a minute, but this is a model that I didn't actually even know existed until a couple of years ago. Um, So it's really exciting to be a part of this. Super. Yeah. Yeah,
0: thank you all. Um, We had I think like two or three questions. It'll probably flow conversationally as usual, but maybe if you just wanted to start on explaining like why, this is probably just a big question, but like, well, maybe like what is a worker co-op if you wanna start there? Or like, why did you choose to form as a worker co-op? Is that an okay, okay place to start?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, so a, a worker co-op, um, you know, is is one. Uh, people are generally familiar with the example of like a housing co-op, um, where the people who live there own the building, or um, you know, like a food co-op, and the people who shop there um, kind of own that that business. Um, so, in our context, a worker co-op would mean that we. Uh, are are together sharing ownership over this business that offers a service, in this case, psychotherapy.
1: Well, that's a a really exciting and unique thing, Max, and I hadn't heard of it. And we wondered, why did you decide to go to this model? Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, so, I mean, I, I guess just to, I came in, um, because I, I I attended a a conference, there was this anarchist mental health conference um, that because of Facebook's creepy algorithms, um, <laughs> I was alerted to its presence. Um, Facebook thought I might like that. How considerate! Um, <laughs> and it was it was uh, one um, that uh, that Billy was a part of organizing. Um, and then uh, that led to a, f- a phone conversation. I contacted Billy after that. And then I, I received, uh, I expressed interest in, in kind of this idea that was floated around at the conference and then and later got an, an email um, with just about the greatest uh, opportunity I've ever heard of or been, uh, had access to. And, and it, it just spoke to all of my non-hierarchical leanings and leftist leanings and intersectional feminist leanings and my, my dreams for being passionate um, about leftist mental health. Um, and so that's kind of how we hope people will get involved in it. It's, it's, it's less of this, we're looking to kind of lean away from this founder centric uh, idea of like some great visionary has this idea for this uh, you know thing that they're going to call a worker co-op and it's it's going to you know it's going to be a big thing it's huge and then everyone else joins in. Um, this has flown from uh, flowed from uh, some long lineages of developing ideas around um, anarchy, around uh, worker power. Um, Intercent- intersectional feminist anti-capitalist theory, um, and you know Billy kind of had this, uh, had done a lot of groundwork um, from from the things that he's learned about. That if you want to jump in, or or Cara, if you want to jump in, because they they had kind of come together before me.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I think from the vantage point that we have right now, which is that we we really, really are enjoying this experiment that we're embarked on. Um, it's feeling successful in a number of ways. One, one of those ways is the fact that it does pay our bills. Um, so we're able to make a living doing this. And then another way is just the kind of human feeling that we have working together this way. There is just a, a really nice kind of energy in this type of working environment where there are no bosses and no employees, but instead just people coming together to uh, put our hands towards a project and to uh, just draw on some kind of more innate, intuitive understandings of how to work together. There's There's a sense of kind of unlearning a lot of what capitalism has taught us and also in unlearning a lot of what imperialist, white supremacist, capitalist patriarchy has taught us um, in just relating to each other in ways that are probably like much older and have a much kind of stronger foundation in the history of our species. And, you know, maybe it's not so surprising that like cooperation turns out to be a thing an experience a phenomenon that just kind of feels better. Um, and... You now there's there seems to be a fair amount of anthropological evidence that supports that. Um, just thinking of some of the some of the theoretical works that people of our political tendency tend to kind of draw on and, and be inspired by. Just really speaking to the fact that like this whole com- competition thing, like yes, maybe important in some factors and some kind of slices of, uh, of the human experience, but definitely not kind of the whole explanation of how we're supposed to relate to each other and definitely not a good foundation for any kind of economic system. So we're just, we're enjoying kind of relearning or learning for the first time, some things that have been known by a lot of people older and wiser and smarter than us for thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and the, I guess kind of the exciting headline is it it really seems to be working in a way that's like very tangible and felt to us right now.
1: What do you actually do together that you wouldn't do if you were in another modality? What is it like? What? How do you talk? Do you have conferences? Do you present clients to each other? Do you have formal meetings? How do you cooperate?
3: Now, I can speak to this one um, as the administrator. Uh who doesn't hold a professional license in an industry that is so, so regulatory, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think one thing that makes us really unique is everyone has an equal say. So we function really democratically and that doesn't necessarily mean like we vote hands up in the air, hands down on every issue, Um, but we have conversations with each other and we trust each other and we agree on a lot of things, but we also critically push back on ideas and we challenge each other. Um, so we typically meet once a week on Fridays, twelve to one p m Eastern, if anyone was curious about that. <laughs> uh, um, but you know, we meet, we have a little agenda, and anyone is welcome to put anything on the agenda. So it can be clinical, it can be non-clinical, um, what have you. And we just discuss things and we just discuss things transparency, um, like friends, we curse in our meetings. You know, there aren't any. Any stipulations on that, and and we kind of just act like our truest selves, and that's how we've kind of formulated formulated our business operations. Um, that's how we've figured out steps moving forward, particularly in regards to you know how we practice therapy, how we conduct ourselves as a business, and currently how we're looking to expand because we are at a point um, we where we are seeking additional um, therapists.
1: Do you present cases to each other and then sort of formulate a response collectively?
2: Sure. So, so that's something that um, you know, Billy and I uh, are are doing more of an anarchist spin on this idea of supervision. Um, so, technically, Billy is my supervisor, um, according to we're we're making air quotes right now. <laughs> um, we love air quotes in this org, by the way, just 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 so you know, that's something we do together is we put we put air quotes around all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, so so the state does require I, I am a licensed master social worker. Um, so the state does not allow me to practice uh, what they would call independently. I'm going to put air quotes around that, too, just for fun. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh but yeah, like I I I technically need to accumulate um supervised hours. Uh so I do that and Billy, you know, signs of paperwork. Um and uh between the two of us, we've worked it out. Uh we we've just been sort of experimenting with this process of what is it like uh when we have people who have different levels of experience. So Billy has been practicing a lot longer than I have. Um and uh and we also have different Uh, types of lived experiences, um, that, that we, we take into account. Um, and sometimes being newer to the profession, um, makes it so that there's a little bit more flexible thinking that can, that can have value in some ways. Um, so we've, we've taken all of those into account and then, uh, figured out that I'm probably going to be focusing more on talking about clients in, uh, in our meetings together, um about my clients uh it, based on my need for support and what I'm perceiving that I'm needing and also we've been experimenting lately with what what if I I could learn more if we alternate talking about our clients um mm-hmm. what if that's a way to integrate knowledge into into share skills um what's your experience been with that billy
4: yeah that that's exactly right we've been having we've been kind of enjoying the process of again, kind of unlearning some hierarchical structures which we have absorbed from the environment that we all grew up in and just really kind of directly challenging those and and kind of playing with those variables in in creative ways and, and learning a lot from each other and just being able to kind of comment on that process as it's unfolding. The type of work that we do seems to require a certain amount of kind of courage and openness and willingness just to kind of disclose aspects of our experience in the moment, right? Um, And and to really be able to receive feedback from each other in the intent uh, in which it is provided. When when Juliet says to me, um, you know, I'm I'm noticing a particular kind of feeling or attention or there's a dynamic here that I would like for us to explore. Um, I have an opportunity to respond to that in a really kind of open and receptive way versus feeling kind of defensive and kind of like uh, kind of closing down or thinking that she's kind of attacking or criticizing me. So in this process of, of working in this way and and being as available to each other as we are to send and receive that type of communication in that open receptive way, we feel like we're building something together just in terms of our relational capacity that we really haven't had much opportunity to develop otherwise Mm -hmm. Um, and and towards that end this does feel like a kind of a larger political project we feel like we're we're building inside of each one of us something that we might even call revolutionary capacity that there's something kind of changing inside of us as we relate to each other this way that's going to be necessary for building that better world yet to come that we believe in and, and are aspiring towards that's a, that's a little bit lofty. And fortunately, we don't spend a lot of time kind of like thinking about that or kind of focusing on that. Like we're able to just kind of experience that together as part and parcel of the work that we do on a day-to-day basis. I, this, this
1: I have up, I'm Sorry, oh, Max, you go ahead. So this, this could
0: come back to that Billy all, But um, so something Cara mentioned earlier was just like the, you know, we work in an industry that's highly regulated and there's like actually a separate conversation that we'd had when I consulted with y'all from my, uh, my colleagues in Santa Barbara, it's just FYI for listeners, like me and a couple of coworkers, maybe thinking about therapist co-op in Santa Barbara, we'll see. So we consulted with these guys. Um, But so the regulatory stuff, like, so where, from what I recall, so um, Juliet is a uh, social worker and Billy you're a clinical psychologist, right? So I remember y'all mentioning how, because of that and other regulatory things it's actually there is a lot of sort of red tape around like what you can actually incorporate as and i don't know tax filings and just uh, you know like weird sort of business stuff and like irs stuff and all that um and so it's funny because when you talk about the lofty goals of these like revolutionary like building capacity things i kind of wonder like what gets in the way um like there's those structural barriers and you know Harriet and I have talked on this podcast a lot about these other barriers of just the way we conceptualize mental health generally is like whether just from a behavioral lens or cognitive behavioral lens like those are just barriers of like seeing people as humans but then there's like these regulatory barriers that seem like they would actually make it difficult to even do something like um like when you talk about supervision the way I think it's supposed to work is like there's this one hour that this person that's lower on the hierarchy consults with someone that's hired, they got a license to supervise. When we kind of all know that, like, you could probably consult with someone off the street and be like, hey, what should I do with this case? And they probably have valuable <laughs> input. Like, that's seriously. Right. Like, you right. talk to someone right. eating from the trash and say, like, hey, someone yep. I know, their life is fucked, and what do we do about this? They'd be like, yep. well, here's an idea. And you'd be like, damn, all right, I'll go use that idea, right? Yep. Um, but the state and all the sort of the capital forces that have, that have created the regulations and stuff yep. have made us think that there's these, you know, there's validity to these structures. So anyway, I guess, where are those barriers to actually having this sort of utopian, like magical, mm-hmm. you know, mental health worker co-op thing?
3: Yeah, well, yeah. I, you know, this is something that's, that's important to me because I feel it really acutely as an administrator who does not hold a licenses in the licenses and a license in the services that we render. So I don't really involve myself at all in any sort of like cases. And I certainly wouldn't advise on client care. Now that's a personal choice but that's also part of regulation. Um, From a co-ownership business perspective it can get a little tricky though because Billy and Juliet can legally comment on my work as a HIPAA compliance officer, as Mm -hmm. someone who is working on the financial side, as someone who is networking. But Uh I cannot involve myself in their work because I don't have the license, right? Uh So that does kind of create a disparity in some decision-making. Again, personally, I wouldn't really involve myself in their cases anyway. I consider that kind of a sacred bond between therapists and their clients. And I don't Uh know the clients. So again, I wouldn't want to interject um, into a situation that I'm not privy to the details of. Um, but I would say in larger decision-making schemas, um, you know, they have opportunities to enhance the business that I don't. Right. So I would say that would be like one barrier, big barrier from my perspective.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that, and we, we'll go into if, I mean, if it's, if we feel it's relevant because it is a little different state to say, but the mm-hmm. specifics of, of why we it's taken us, um, over a year since we decided to start doing this together cooperatively for us to formalize the legal structure of cooperative ownership um there have been a lot of there there are barriers around that um you know for example uh so so new york state says that uh professionals who hold different professional licenses um or workers who hold different professional licenses um we're trying to refer to ourselves as workers more so than professionals um that they can't uh co-own this healthcare business together um and that if someone doesn't hold a, a quote-unquote professional license um they they can't co-own that business together either and it, it in theory it's to keep um corporate interests out of um out of healthcare decisions um and you know something that that does, for example, this this idea that we we have this really um, equitable um, relationship around sharing knowledge and and consulting about client care. Um, that's that's all well and good. And and somebody could say, well, I you know I really trust my supervisor. We have a great relationship. We we I definitely don't feel like I'm being taken advantage of, um, and they respect my knowledge. And it's just so different when uh, the person whose whose uh, knowledge I'm seeking to share in uh, doesn't have the power to fire me, right. doesn't have the power to take away my livelihood, um, my my access to to what what keeps my my life going. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, and that technically right now I'm I'm an independent contractor. We we have found the legal workaround to to finally you know in, in early 2021 we're gonna we're gonna incorporate together um, as a worker cooperative uh, but it was really tough to do that um, and it it does it, it really is completely different this relationship when uh, I'm not feeling like I'm meeting the need of a boss um, that we're kind of meeting each other's needs together
1: well how is it different from let's say a hypnosis group, I was in a hypnosis group for a very long time. And I'm periodically in Jeff Zeig, the big wig from the Erickson Foundations seminars, and everyone comments together. And in my supervision group on hypnosis, which I was in for seven years, it was convened by a very experienced hypnotherapist with no power over anybody. I guess she could make fun of people, but that would be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but we presented cases and got each other's wisdom on the cases. And it was very collective. And then she, as a more experienced hypnotherapist, made some comments. Mm-hmm. But how how is this different besides that you are comrades here and you know that you can trust each other on a deeper personal level?
4: Because that collective too. I think what you're describing that the quality of the environment that you're describing is what what I would like for us, um, especially when we reach a, a larger size. <clears throat> right now it's just Juliet and I discussing the clinical aspects of the work. And we our schedules are both so full now, providing the client care. That the time is pretty limited for us to even do that case consultation that we really enjoy. It's it's just mm-hmm. like it's a lot of fun. We both feel like we're I, I'll speak for myself that I feel like I learn a lot just hearing Juliet describe her work with a with a particular client. So when when we have another therapist or two or three who wants to come and join us, then I'm picturing that those meetings will look a lot more like what you're describing, Harriet.
1: And the other question is a bigger question. How do you see what you're doing, being part of a transformation of a capitalist economy into a cooperative economy, or don't you go there?
2: We absolutely do go there. Um, I think, so we were talking about this just a little bit beforehand and, and thinking about how, um, like, th- this actually would never have happened if there weren't. Wasn't already a, a move, a worker co-op movement, and already a transformation of capitalist society happening. Um, so, so we're not we're not inventing this. Um, we we're we're figuring out what we need to do to make it work in this particular uh, profession and in in providing mental health care mm-hmm. in in our state in in our community. Um, and uh this is this is already happening so we're actually we're drawing inspiration uh from you know uh, anarcho-communists we're drawing inspiration um from uh, a lot of groups uh that we've been working with in the new york area and across the country um and uh and and actually in other countries as well um from people who are invested in the worker co-op movement, who have their own worker co-ops, who are uh, dedicated to supporting worker co-ops. So this is kind of already happening and what we're hoping, I think, um, you know, let, let me know if y'all have different uh, ways of phrasing this, but I I'm, we're hoping to kind of give back to and can create a feedback loop with the co- worker co-op movement where we're, we're going to share this template is, for example, of, of how we've managed to legally incorporate as a worker cooperative um, and, and share that as, as widely as possible to make it a lot easier for others to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. That would
1: makes ask, sense to would extend just, the co-op model into healthcare where it's desperately needed. And there would, have been
4: attempts, sorry. No, I would just I would add to that um, that for for a lot of people who have a vision for the better world that they want to contribute to, that a lot of that is happening outside of work hours. A lot of people are are working their wage labor job, doing what they need to do to keep body and soul together, and then with a little bit of energy that they have left at the end of the day, if if any, they are attending uh, a discussion group or an organizing meeting and, and kind of um, using that that little precious bit of time and energy that they have left at the end of the day to, to try to contribute to those larger projects. We have we have something really interesting in our situation, which is that we're able to earn a living while actively developing these capacities together. Um, at the same time. And so the the kind of loftier political goals of an organization like ours are sort of always present, but not something that we're necessarily directing energy to every moment of the day. There is a a sense of kind of a a cumulative uh, kind of gestalt (laughs) effect, (laughs) where as we come together and we experience this really humanizing kind of radical way of relating to each other. We feel better. I'll speak for my own experience. I feel better. I feel more energized. I uh, am feeling like a fuller, truer, more authentic, spontaneous, lively, vibrant version of myself as I'm working here. And that feels like it's kind of translating into something larger. That's, that's already uh, spilled over into some connections that we've been able to make. Um, You know, the fact that that Max reached out to us a couple of weeks ago and said, hey, we're thinking of starting something in Santa Barbara. Could we pick your brains about that? Could we uh, just hear from you all what that process has been like thus far? There does seem to be a a feeling of a bit of momentum that is developing around this. And I would also just note, by the way, that we are not the first uh, cooperatively owned mental health organization in the United States. We're not there. There have been. Uh, practices and, and clinics that have kind of bubbled up over the years and have have um, not been able to continue for a long time for whatever reason, but there is currently one in Minnesota actually that we just learned about from reading a Reddit post last week. Okay. <laughs> we just learned that there there are other comrades out there who are who are doing similar work, so we're very excited to continue exploring uh, the landscape and finding out who who is embarked on projects like these, who does have kind of a sense of uh, the capacities that could be built through this type of work. Uh, it does It does feel like there is something kind of burgeoning here. There's a lot of energy and activity and sort of readiness. And it's really just a matter of kind of connecting all these dots to see what can come from it in, in the larger scale.
1: Yeah, I'm wondering how it relates to the whole democracy at work movement which is a movement of wanting to create a cooperative economy instead of a capitalist economy. And I don't know if you have bigger ties to that democracy at work movement,
4: or if you just affiliate by kind of finding out about things. I think it relates directly. Uh, I've been following the work of professor Richard Wolff, someone I think you probably know quite well. I'm like, winking to myself (laughs) (laughs) co-participants here um yeah yeah, um professor wolf and 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 the way that i found out about his work is through black socialists in america uh, a group that i've been following on twitter for a number of years they were talking about worker self-directed enterprises uh years ago and i was i was learning about that model what that means um so those types of efforts, uh, the the ways in which lots of different individuals and organizations and collectives are are kind of thinking together, exploring together, working together, um, inspiring and informing one another, um, it it does it does have the characteristics of something that might be described as a movement.
1: Yeah, I think it. I think it does because capitalism is being questioned on a level that it hasn't for fifty years. And so within that questioning, all sorts of groups are coming up. And who knows, we might do what they did in Italy, which has so long ago, and which is why they have more worker co-ops than anyone else, the Marcora law, that any workers who are threatened with closing can get three years unemployment at one time if they invested in making the place a worker co-op. And that's been very popular and it's all over the place. So, um, you know, hopefully these seeds are being planted everywhere and they're sprouting.
4: It's exciting. I I think
0: there's there's a lot of potential like in our field too right now, because not only is capitalism being questioned on on a really massive scale, but mental health is being talked about differently at a much larger scale than it ever has as well for like all these intersecting reasons. I mean, we're talking about like universal health care and just the need for health care generally and with mental health as like a sort of, it's, it's presumed to be like on parity with physical health, although it's like typically not really, but it's being talked about that way more um, from like police abolition. There's just like, we need mental health, not police kind of conversation, you know, and there's like debates around that um, from like the veterans issues and suicidality to like LGBT and you know, like trans suicides and issues. there's like mental health is sort of in every social issue now, almost like the way it's being talked about is like mental health in the schools or mental health for this group and that group. And so like, here we are, we're like, you know, and like, you know, Kara, you're in with the crew. So like, it's cool. You know, you may, you're a mental health professional. You're close enough, you know, but like, we're sort of, um, we're in this like, interesting moment where I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of assume that most of us like didn't go into it with well, there's usually some grandiosity and like, I'm going to save the world for, for a lot of us that do it. But um, I think like, as there's a sort of class consciousness building and there's this interest in mental health with like not a great understanding of what m- mental health is even, I think when people talk about mental health, they're like, oh, have my kid go see a therapist for an hour a week and then they won't want to kill themselves anymore or whatever. And we all know like, no, there's like this larger existential fabric that's like, and socioeconomic fabric. And so we're like, it doesn't actually work that way. But for those of us that also have that class consciousness with a movement that has class consciousness, with us being mental health professionals, with the potential for there being this like massive sort of confederated worker co-op movement right. with mental health as a part of it, I do see that as, you know, and maybe with some massive sort of a, uh, you know, workers party that's you know also on its way or something, whether it's like through DSA or something else. Yeah. Like, I do think there's a lot of potential. So I think the, what y'all are doing is really cool. And... um. And also on a more, ten- cause there's that, there's that like way out there view. And then sometimes, you know, it's, so with like labor organizing, you start with like grievances, like, well, the boss gave me a dirty look, you know? And you're not like, all right, communism. You're like, well, how can we work together to improve that issue? <laughs> yeah. um, mm-hmm. I think like a lot of mental health workers typically find, Billy maybe use this in a previous conversation, but like burnout factories, like usually mm-hmm. most most starting out mental health workers and social workers just find that where you are deployed during or after grad school is a total burnout factory. Like the issues you're seeing are actually people that are suffering from housing issues, over-policed, uh, neighborhoods, deindustrialized economic situations. Uh, you know what I mean? Like there's those issues and it's like therapy and like social workers aren't going to help with that. Like we need universal shit to solve those issues, but we're deployed into these situations. And so mental health work also becomes this like depressing thing where you go in and you find that it's not actually working the way you thought it would. And then you come out and you're like, I'm just going to do private practice on my own and hide from the bosses forever. And from like this apparatus, like, world. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to work for public he- health, I'm not going to work for whatever. So like, y'all are also sort of, I think, trying to create this alternative to that where it's not a burnout factory, you actually have a voice, you, you have some autonomy, and you're trying to center client care all at the same time while like paying the bills, mm-hmm. you know? I think for most mental health workers, those things all mixed together is not really on the radar. So
1: So you're putting it on the radar, and that's that's really important that it's out there as a possibility Mm -hmm. to be cooperative in the way you deliver care. One, what development, which I think is healthy, I think it's in Minneapolis, they have it that if there's a mental health emergency, because a lot of people call because there's some... Somebody went off his meds or somebody's freaking out. They don't send cops. They send social workers, which is a recognition that emotional problems don't need a beating. You know, they need understanding. And as people question the police, then people's problems, when they become really explosive, have a chance to be dealt with in a way that understands that this is a crisis in a human life, it's not a crime. Mm-hmm. And I think your co-op is, can be really part of that, that cooperative idea that we, these are not diseased, these are people with problems and we wanna help. I think it's a great idea. And the more publicity you can do around it, especially in our very backward field, which is disconnected from the social and political context
3: yeah.
1: of our clients. It's really important.
2: Sure, and, and I think this this is sort of it's not even really like our idea, um, and this is not even so much like um, you know people are suddenly questioning capitalism. I mean, the capitalism imperialism they have always been questioned by the people who are impacted them by them the most. Um, so that this, this has always been going on. Um, and so the, this is kind of, um, I think what we're doing is, is less, uh, you know, inventing a vision or something like that. And, and more so, um, we, we're figuring out um, it, a way to, to configure a, a cooperative workplace that can can make these things more possible um, while providing healthcare. So we're we're just kind of bringing all these different pieces together uh, to see how they can work in our particular situation.
1: How do you handle what to charge people who come in for mental health care?
4: That's a really good question. <clears throat> we're we're always kind of balancing uh, a couple different. Um, values against each other. <clears throat> so we do really care about the health and well-being of our workers. So we're, we're really trying to kind of get off of that burnout track that Max was talking about earlier by, by centering the worker, providing a wage that's fair, um, providing working conditions that are sustainable. And so of course that's going to cost money right? So where does that money come come from? So so then that gets balanced against the question of, okay, but wait a minute, aren't we trying to serve poor and working class people? Aren't we trying to provide health to the working class? Are are we trying to uh, actually um, empower the working class in a way that's going to uh, assist in kind of the larger revolutionary objectives of our organization? So isn't that a bit of a zero-sum game? Sometimes it does feel like that, but the the conversations around that, the way that we negotiate that, we find very energizing and, and empowering as we're trying to kind of navigate and negotiate these different um these different demands. So presently uh it it is we have struck a balance <laughs> that does allow us to feel relatively well cared for for ourselves and also um being able to provide a, a lower than average hourly rate for the services that we provide. And one of the reasons that we're able to do that is there is no boss at the top siphoning off all of the profits. Right. <laughs> so there's just, there's just more to go around. Without some owner right. who is uh, commanding all those resources, and then just kind of doling out the little bits that that, that uh, otherwise would would be provided to the workers. Yeah. So when there's more to go around in that way, we just have more ability to determine how we're kind of divvying that up. How much is, of that is going to ourselves and our own needs, and how much of that is going to subsidizing the cost of the of the hourly session. So that is one piece of it. The other piece of it is I'm on several different insurance panels so I'm being paid by these horrible insurance. megalithic corporate entities that <laughs> that we absolutely feel so much wild ambivalence about even being in relation with at all but that is a way that someone else is kind of paying for those services and we, aren't, aren't
2: needing to. Yeah we um we've been able to for example, like my, if, if I were operating by myself, my business would have failed. <laughs> um, I would not have been able to stay afloat, but because we're, we're pooling, um the, the, you know, what we get from insurance companies and um, from, from clients out of pocket all, all comes together. And then we're, we, we all pay ourselves uh, the same hourly wage. And then, um, you know, when, when we're negotiating with clients, and I think this is also a really revolutionary thing that happens. That's kind of more subtle, just the conversations that we have with clients when we're deciding what the fee is going to be, um, you know, we're able to be transparent about uh, the, the, the floor um, of what we are able to, um, to charge and then also stay afloat.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: uh and we, we can kind of talk about like why that is and what's happening, and, and have a, a really transparent conversation around that, and then talk to the client about what their needs are. Um, and a lot of times they're shocked that they don't have to provide me with like all kinds of complicated documentation to show that they need a a lower rate. Um, and you know, especially this year, we've been seeing the beauty of as clients, it, you know, during COVID, their their financial situations are are fluctuating so wildly. Um, you know, they'll, they'll come in and just be like, I'm, I'm sorry. I can't, I'm, we're going to have to discontinue for a while. I'm, I can't keep paying the same fee. And uh, I, that's, you know, I don't, there's no company policy that says like, this is the fee. So if you can't pay it goodbye, um, I'm able to actually go back, uh, talk with Billy and Cara at a, at a meeting or, you know, on, on our, our chat and say, you um, this client needs to, can only pay this much, um, for, for a little while, um, ha, what can we offer them? And I, I am often able to really quickly get to that back to that client and say, what, okay, what if you didn't pay at all for your sessions this month? Or like, what if we cut it in half? Um, and then we can kind of just be really in touch with the, that being, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm transparent about this is an ongoing conversation because it, we, we do have to kind of stay afloat, um, But if we're able to, like it's not going to cut into my personal wages. That also takes it away from them feeling like they're, they're affecting me super personally. If, if I'm charging them less Um, it's, it's like, oh, our business can, can handle this currently. uh, And I'm, I'd really love to, to make the, you know, sessions possible for you during this time. And, and we actually can.
3: And I just want to, Oh, sorry. I just want to emphasize um, how important I think this is to the clients to have power in the financial relationship with their therapist. So instead of us being like, oh, you had a life circumstance that makes you unable to pay, well, it's still going to be $70 an hour. Can you pay it now? Well, unfortunately we have to discontinue the relationship I mean, that's not conducive to the growth of a business. And more importantly, it's not conducive to the mental health of a client who has been with us for however long um, and is, is looking for the help. So I think what's cool about this model is we can turn to a client and be like, okay, well, what can you afford? And they're like, okay, I can afford this. And we're like, perfect. And almost always we can accommodate that situation. Um, And I think this is what's really cool about that is it's not a therapist or business dictating to you what you get. It's you having power to say, this is what I'm willing and can give right now. And the therapist working with that and the business working with that. Um, I would hope that that really builds trust between us and our clients. And I hope that that helps empower them and feel like they have even more control over their mental health and more control over um, the relationship.
4: And we have a lot of examples of this bearing out. We have examples of Mm -hmm. someone coming in, uh, being able to pay us $50 a session, then something happens, they're not able to pay anything at all for a while, and then they get a job they have commercial insurance. All of a sudden, we're earning $130 a session from that same client. So when we are able to take that longer view and really center a, a trusting relationship, and when we can communicate with them very transparently and honestly, and say, "Like, look, you know how businesses go. You you know the bills come due every month. Like, you understand our situation, and we are going to do the best we can by you." Uh, that is, that pays off in, in ways that these uh, much more kind of elaborate and convoluted um, sliding scale policies don't seem to bear out.
0: This is like a little bit of talking shop. I know, Harriet, you want to go soon, but so like a burning question, because like it's since I learned about this model called the solidarity co-op, um, it's, it's like half worker, half consumer co-op. So like 50% votes, 50% votes kind of thing. I've only heard of it tried in a couple of ways, but like, I've been wondering like if, is it possible to do a thing where you have sort of like client membership dues essentially that are within some sort of sliding scale, just like a union or something like that, where it like, it pays for a certain thing. You know what I mean? And then like clients get a vote. Like have you all explored that kind of idea? Cause I've wondered if me and others start something of like trying to set something like that up. So it's like a sustainable pool that like client members are actually paying for themselves to help, you know what I mean? Or would that, I mean, Kara, since you're like more of a money smart person, like <laughs> does that sound like crazy? I found, like or-
3: the token capitalist, of the group. <laughs> <laughs> My- well,
0: like, well, numbers are important. I mean, you don't have yeah. to be a capitalist speaking with numbers yeah. and spreadsheets and stuff. I mean, that's like an important, you know, whether in like yeah. Soviet Russia or like <laughs> Manhattan. Like, I, don't know.
3: Um, I, I love that idea. Actually, I'm I in in I'm trying to think historically of if we've discussed that. I don't I don't believe we have, but I absolutely love that. Um you know, any sort of collective pool sharing that takes the emphasis off like paying for a service and puts the emphasis back on helping individuals in our community and also helping ourselves, we need help too. Um, I'm always game for it. And one thing I would like to drive home to anyone out there who's like, well, how does this like, how do you make money really? Like, how do you stay in the black? How do you not go in the red? Co ops and mental health therapy, especially because it's a regular service based industry, is very, very sustainable and it's very, very flexible. Um, I think that fiscally, if that was your focus to any capitalists who might be interested in this podcast and listening, um, this is absolutely a viable and lucrative model. And I'm hopeful that we can lead by example and turn to any naysayers and be like, oh, no, 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 not only are we keeping the ship afloat? But we're actually making a profit as well. Um, I think it's important for people to hear that. And hopefully it eliminates some fear for anybody who is looking to pursue this model, but is also, you know, worried about their own personal finances and their work life balance. This is a very viable, flexible model.
1: I'm gonna have to bow out now because I have to go at five five fifteen. I have to be somewhere else doing okay. something else. So I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, and bye bye. Thank you, Harriet. Thank you,
4: bye. Um, Julia. You had a reaction to that. You want to share? Just kind of
0: close out, or actually, I'd be willing to just go longer too if y'all want to. But yeah. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead.
2: Wait. Well, yeah. I mean, I've, I'm. I I plan to have have until six to to chat, but. Um, yeah, I mean, just in terms of being profitable, um, I guess just that term, I want to put a huge asterisk there, um, because that's really not our aim. Um, we, our aim is KTBA, (laughs) keep the boat afloat. That's, that's our one financial, uh, requirement. Um, so we're not looking for this to be a, 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 you know, super profitable, lucrative thing and make a lot of money where um, we we, uh, we do want to communicate that it is viable, that it is viable. And that um, I, I think rather than emphasizing it being profitable, like really what we've been able to do uh, that we want to communicate as possible is that uh, we we are able to offer ourselves uh, a, a wage that, that we're feeling is fair. Is we, we're mm-hmm. able to work consistently towards offering more benefits um, to workers mm-hmm. in this co-op. Um, you know, we're, we're really focusing on healthcare benefits right now. Um, mm-hmm. And we're, we're able to create a situation where we can, uh, through consensus-based processes, uh, talk to each other about what that wage should be, what those benefits should be and and work towards those, and that we are um, you know, staying afloat well enough to to just just to cover that. And that's all that's all we need to do. It's what a lot of people don't think we would be able to do and and we can.
0: Well, i if I could like socialist explain or like translate, because <laughs> like when I, when I heard profit, I mean, I think that's important, Julia, like hmm. you're kind of clarifying, like we're not talking about profit in the capitalist sense, but just like any sort of like Marx nerds, of, you know, like labor theory of value and like the like, like profit really being in capitalism, it's the, it's the whole purpose is to basically like pinch pennies out of workers to create a surplus to make more money right. for, for whoever's able to squeeze money out of the worker and not work. Right, So it's like, when y'all talk about profit, I don't think you mean it in that way. I mean, maybe, maybe I don't know if it's a semantic thing, but just like having a surplus. Like there's extra money for now based on the decisions you've made, but it's not for like, oh, well, let's invest that in like a hedge fund or something <laughs> so, or like, or whatever. I don't even yeah. mean anything about, about yeah. like, like investments, right? But it's like, that's not what the purpose is. The purpose would be either for a rainy day, for health benefits, for a new bigger building or something. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it wouldn't be for for capital investment or whatever, or that's what I'm assuming, right? Oh, no, not at all.
3: If anything, it's going in. I would say the two things that are surplus, which I am kind of interchanging surplus and profit Mm. here. Again, the aim isn't to just like make a bunch of money and then liquidate the business and walk away. That is not the (laughs) aim at all. The aim is definitely to keep going, Um, But not only does it offer more benefits to make, you know, our lives better, which allows us to do our jobs, I think, you know, Mm at a fuller capacity, if I eat well, and like the place I live and can cover, Mm -hmm. you know, my basic needs and interests, like I am going to be better at my job, I am going Mm -hmm. to be able to show up healthy, um, with a clear mind, but I think the surplus is also kind of allowing us to expand. I mean, as it was said earlier, we really want to share our vision and we really want to share our model. We are not like tight lipped about what we're doing here. We are not trying to protect our intellectual capital in any way. We are hopeful Mm -hmm. that other people see this and they run with it. And I think for me, you know, I know the big reservation, you know, with a co-op model is, well, how, how does it keep the boat afloat? And again, what I'm saying is at least in this industry, you can do more than keep the boat afloat. You can expand and invest in, in other services if needed.
4: Right.
0: This is the first ever episode where Harriet has like bounced out. Uh, yeah. So now, now I'm all alone. I feel like I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, like cold and without a blanket and we can- sad. Um, <laughs> no, Max, y'all are can- sufficient to keep me psychologically safe. Um, <laughs> we can wrap. just. I mean. Yeah. N- Max is, if we could, it, i mean i'd be i'm excited to. i'm like you know i didn't have anything planned like i'm happy <laughs> to keep talking um i mean are there other um should we should we do like robert's rules of order and like do a consensus thing or something? um <laughs> like i'm down to keep it going for if there's any other sort of like burning like my burning thing before harry left was like would there be a way to also do like dues yeah. you know have like sort of consumers be part of it i mean do y'all have any other like we're really excited about this thing that we've been doing, or this way that the model works differently. Like, you know, if you want to keep the ball well, going, like,
2: I well, I we wanted to put in a, a little plug for the fact yeah, that please. we are going to be bringing on um, a new therapist, uh, and cool. we're we're looking for a licensed clinical social worker in the state of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so that's that's one thing we wanted to to talk about. Um because we are we we're, we're we were thinking potentially mm-hmm. such a like-minded individual individual who who would have mm-hmm. many amazing things uh, to offer could be listening mm-hmm. to this. So if you're out there, mm-hmm. hi, <laughs> um, <laughs> get, please get in touch with us. Um, we'd be dying to uh, to connect with you. Um, you know, people of color, especially Black and Indigenous people of color, or queer and trans people of color. Strongly encouraged to reach out. Um, yeah, the other I I guess other topic we were really interested in uh, the idea of why this ha- other co-ops haven't sprung up um, in in mm. the field of mental health, at least to to our knowledge mm. in New York. Um, and we we had a really interesting discussion about that earlier, so we were we were jazzed about that. But Billy, what you were what were you going to mm. say?
4: Yeah. I was I mean I was thinking more about Max's question to us uh about a, a particular model and kind of wondering if if that was something that we considered and just kind of what I'm appreciating about that is the how much uh creativity and to use a, a very kind of like loaded buzzword, how much innovation is possible in this space. Um and, and that that shouldn't surprise us. Uh, when we are able to reject these kind of traditional paradigms of the way that things should be done, when we are able to eschew some conventional wisdom about how mental health services must be structured and delivered, it does open up a lot of ideas. There are, there are a lot of uh, sort of imaginative possibilities there. And so, so, Max, I think it's quite possible that your co-op could function very differently and could have a quite different financial model that supports it compared to ours. And wouldn't that be a really fun thing to connect around and, and converse about in the months and years going forward? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be so cool if there was this larger confederation of worker co-ops where we are learning from each other, where we are um, inspiring each other and helping each other with, with uh, different answers to the question how do we keep the boat afloat while doing this very values driven work in a way that feels sustainable and life giving? Yeah. 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 Um,
0: I really like that question Julia just posed. I don't know if that was, if you mentioned Julia, that that was something that y'all had t- been talking about internally, or if that's something you wanted to explore of like, cause this is something I actually wonder about all the time, especially after reading mm-hmm. professor Wolf's book. Um, I think it's just Democracy at Work. Um, yeah, A Cure for Capitalism or something. Or Democracy, yeah, Democracy at Work, Cure for Capitalism. My sociology PhD housemate, who's now in Germany, um, like sort of made me read it. I was complaining about my job a lot at Community Mental Health Agency. Uh, and he was like, here. <laughs> um, and it was like, work self directed enterprises. Um and I remember when I first, cause I get this sort of almost like a, you could pathologize and call it manic, but it's just like, I, you know, I get an idea. I'm one of those people or like, you call it OCD or something, but it's like, I get an idea and I get obsessed. And I'm like, now I have to sort of preach to everybody. And they're like, dude, go, like, no, I'm done with you. But like, it was that idea of just like democracy at work. And it was like, wait, why is this not a normal thing? And then going down the rabbit hole of understanding that like, well, historically in industrial capitalism, like unions had really become not like the norm, but like a force to be reckoned with. And then, got smacked <laughs> and like co-ops were always sort of a part of it. Like there's co-ops and unions were always sort of like, you know, doing, doing stuff. Um, but so I guess anyway, to my take on that question of like, why, so there's why generally a worker co-ops, not the norm. And then there was why in the mental health field, because I do think that's a specifically interesting question, you know, like if, um, so I guess like just, I don't know, just to spark a new discussion here, like, Hey, I feel like McCarthyism, et cetera, just destroyed the very idea that like workplaces could be democratic period. Right. Wow. It, in fact, it's just natural for individuals to just be competing for higher wages and benefits and to like fuck people over to get promotions and then fuck people over to get, go to a better firm or whatever. And that's just nature or something. Right. That's like waterfalls and rainbows. And that's just how nature works. And that became really normalized. I also think that the mental health field got sort of like, co-opted and shaped by capital in the neoliberal era where it was like individualism and you know CBT just like change the thoughts in your head nothing outside of what's happening in your head matters that's not mental health so I feel like therapists sort of sort of collectively got shaped by the forces that be to sort of collude with that those pretty silly ideas and then also so there's I don't know I think there's the broader political context and then there's within our field that's been the hegemony has been very individualized to where like when I've talked with colleagues about it, they're like, that sounds kind of cool, I guess, but there isn't really a spark. They're not like, Oh, I want to look into worker co-ops or um, it depends on who you talk to, I guess, you know, but like,
4: mm-hmm.
0: you know, anyway, that's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> my exploration. I don't know. Have y'all like thought about that more? Like why mm-hmm. this is a mental health field, which is supposed to be like helping people egalitarian, like, um, worker co-ops aren't like a normal thing in our field
2: we were talking about the the role of professionalization um in this uh because we 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 had identified some legal barriers too but i guess the story to that even before we get to these legal barriers that we're now facing like i mean radical emotional healing and anti-oppressive emotional healing has has always existed in um has, you know, healing originated as a, as a community practice. Um, so, you know, a, a particularly, you know, in, in queer communities, communities of color, um, in, in spiritual communities, uh, mutual aid networks uh, are, are, you know, have, have always been um, a really, a really important source of resistance and healing um, and then, you know, professionalization of care work, I think, neutralizes the threat that that the idea of emotional healing just inherently holds against this, this capitalist society that wants to um, dehumanize us. Uh, with, there's kind of, we were thinking about, like, how does this compare to, uh, you know, worker co ops are definitely more prevalent among people who provide, who, who create a, a good that they are able to sell, uh, that they create those things together and kind of or, create a cooperative around that. There's definitely things that make it legally more complicated for us. And also, we were, we were speculating about the emotional, cultural, psychological phenomenon of, um, you know, going and getting a degree and getting licensed, how you have to make a U turn from that. You know, you've got you have to go through the system and then back out again to get to the point of of having a mental health mm-hmm. workers co-op. Because um, mm-hmm. the state, you know, says you you can't you can't practice, uh, you know, licensed mental health care um, that would. And it's important to, for it to be licensed to, to make it accessible because insurance companies won't reimburse for things that, you know, et cetera, et, right. et cetera like we, you have to go and get licensed and go, go to grad school. And then uh, once you're already there, it's like, oh, I, I have to go into either an agency or try and get out in, and go into to private practice. You're, you're on the, mm-hmm. the bourgeoisie track or the, or the burnout track. Um, yep. It's so hard and there isn't support for envisioning uh, another path. And it, there's a lot of work that has to be done to kind of walk it back from there.
4: Mm-hmm. Wow. Right. If you're entering a training program to become a professional, it's, it's implied, even if it's not directly stated, that you are now becoming something other than a worker. Right? And so now yeah. you, have, you have chosen yeah. a side, and, and you are now siding with the rule in class, even if that's not necessarily your intent going into that. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of that has been very, very deliberate. Um, over the decades. And and we have an opportunity to kind of analyze that, um, critique that, think about kind of what our participation is in those structures and systems. Is it possible? Is it possible to go and get that degree and then kind of excise yourself from that world and and function in a different way? Not fully, not completely. I I and Mm -hmm. Juliet are still governed by Rules and regulations of the state in which we practice. Uh, we still uh, complete these these forms to renew our licenses. We obtain continuing education credits. We are still very much participating in that system as it has been laid out, um, and there there is a uh, there is a sense in which we are kind of playing by those rules and and doing so with a lot of gratitude and appreciation for what that allows us to do, the the power that that does give us in the eyes of the state, while also trying to kind of hold and maintain this this critique of the systems and structures overall. So it is a a bit of a balancing act. And that's one way in which the worker co-op is so helpful for our own political development and consciousness. We're able to just kind of check those things against each other. We're able to kind of notice ourselves operating on autopilot or or just kind of uh, Uh, just adhering to the received wisdom uncritically but then to kind of pause and stop and check and converse about that and sort of remember who we are and what we do and why even in the midst of kind of all of these structures that are imposing down on us in that way
0: do y'all think that with professionalization because like i've kind of thought about this too that there's a sort of it doesn't necessarily have to be a class mobility thing. So like I grew up pretty, I grew up in like section eight in the Bay area of California and stuff and like went to college and stuff. So I did a sort of class mobility thing and like, you know, white privilege kind of helped me out a little bit, um, probably more than a little bit, but like there's, there's like, you go to college, you get these professional degrees and stuff. And then you're sort of like, whether it's in your head or not, there's a ladder that you presumably have been climbing. And so I've wondered sometimes in ironic way where like, if you, if there's this fear that we have so- sometimes too, where it's like you actually are less likely to rock the boat or challenge the regulatory norms, the state apparatus, the, you know, the capital forces or whatever, because you're like, well, now I'm up here. I cannot, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to get knocked down to here. I'm going to get knocked down one peg. Like I got a goddamn master's degree. I got a fucking PhD. Like I will not let, you know, I'm not going to like, you know, I'm going to make sure all my first impressions are perfect that like, yeah. You know, yeah. I look good. That I sound good. That like everything I'm doing is is packaged the right way, so that I don't um I don't want to be perceived as lower than that, and I don't want to have to like, you know, struggle with whatever it is down there now, because now I'm up here. You know what I mean? Yes. And if that has also been this impediment, in that professionalization created a sort of like, I guess collusion with like I don't even want to say the ruling classes, because it's not like most therapists aren't not like millionaires. They're just like.
2: No, but yeah, doing
0: better than your average, like a dishwasher or something. But like,
2: right?
0: I've wondered if that's psychologically impacted us too. You know,
2: mm-hmm. so. it's hard to envision. I think something that we hope to do is articulate what's gained when you do. You know, we we maybe aren't making as much as, uh, you know, a someone who's in private practice who caters to wealthy clients might mm-hmm. might make, um, and and we're we're gaining. So much more, and these are things that are maybe hard to articulate to people—not just in the mental health field, but um, you know, in, in a lot of places where they're like, "Well, I'm pretty comfortable," um, you know, to 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 say that this this happiness and and uh, freedom and spontaneity and flexibility and and so many other mm. things that we're experiencing at work and this reversal of the process of alienation is is so incredibly worth it. Um, mm. I. I'm gonna. I feel like what I'm gonna share now is is it, I'm not gonna share any details that would be outside the bounds of confidentiality. But we've got editing mm-hmm. in case. That that's, uh, yeah. But just yeah, just that I, I've I've talked to clients who, um, you know have have experienced upward economic mobility and are kind of having these really burning questions. Um, in now in in these uh, in their in their professional work environments about why they're so miserable um, and why how, how who they are at work and how that contrasts with maybe radical values they hold outside of it um, and and how how in the world are you supposed to reconcile those um, but there's you know there's such a long way that they've come from, um, you know, from struggling financially to feeling a lot more comfortable. And I love that uh, I haven't quite figured out in clinical practice, how much to talk about my experience at, at work and how that, that personal experience of what we're doing uh, can inform what I have to say to clients, but I, I do love that it just at least I'm holding within myself a sense of possibility that that I hope to articulate more and more to clients of of what a workplace can look like um, when it's cooperatively run uh, the way that we the way that we do or the way that so many other people are about to figure out how they're going to do the way that they want to do it.
3: I'm really curious about how the idea of professionalization affects the clients, right? Mm -hmm. Because on the one hand, you know, society has done you wrong and you seek help to kind of navigate that, right. By going through to a therapist Um, and you go to them because they have this like level of expertise and this training and they're there to help you. But at the same time, there's a hierarchy there, right? Like, you know, it's less of a partnership and more like, well, what should I do? I think sometimes. Uh, and I, I'm just wondering, like, how do you guys? I, I know I'm not necessarily the one who's supposed to be asking the questions in the podcast, but I, I think, I, I mean, I'm curious, and hopefully some listeners are curious too, like, you know, how do you guys navigate that with with clients, you know, this idea that you are there with an expertise a so professionalism to help them with specific needs, but also, you don't want to create this like, air quotes, intellectual imbalance.
4: I found that one thing that doesn't help is is very glibly disavowing power that I actually do have. <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I'm like, no like we're equals it's cool like let's just talk we're just friends man man. (laughs) um you know the the truth that 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 is not acknowledging is the fact that i actually do have the power to like diagnose this person and like i'm in a contractual relationship with the insurance company that's going to determine whether or not they're allowed to receive these services so there is a gatekeeping function that i do have as a virtue of my profession So my starting point is to acknowledge those factors and try to be real about those and then to invite a type of relationship that is honest and aware of those variables and yet also still trying to reach across those uh, functions and features to something that does actually feel like trust, something that does actually feel human. Um, So a lot of times it's almost kind of in spite of all these different uh, paradigms and systems and structures that we're able to experience something that feels truly comradely in the therapeutic alliance. Juliet, what would you say about it?
2: Definitely. Yeah. Acknowledging, uh, acknowledging the power that that is there. Um, And I think uh, that's something that they they give lip service to when they in 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 school when they are t- telling you about being a therapist they're like oh it's a position of power so be just be mindful of that you're like oh cool got it um, you know day one check covered um, but <laughs> I, I think that's another thing that I, those conversations that we have uh, around fees um, that that greater level of transparency that 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 helps create the frame for this for having conversations about power that there's there's more acknowledgement of of um, the money aspect of things and how that factors into the power relationship Um, and I think the fact that uh, the the consultation that I participate in around my work with clients is non-hierarchical and that we are working on on between the two of us um, trying to address like speak to and and start to level some of those power imbalances, um, and just name and hold the ones that we can't address, uh, that, that supports me working in a way that I think, um, you know, clients, uh, can, can maybe feel, um, and that I, I hope that they do feel, um, and yeah, I in in work with clients, I think I've often run into a lot of times folks kind of wanting me or or, or um requesting of me. Wanting is that what word what work is that word doing there? <laughs> requesting of me to to tell them what to do in certain circumstances mm. or kind of like expecting a different level of uh wielding authority um and those conversations themselves have been really productive and I feel like I've there have been a you know some cases where like a year into working with a client they're like I think I'm just now starting to not be totally frustrated by the fact that you're not just like um telling me what to do yeah yeah Mm -hmm. but again like that then then I then I find myself going back to okay but yeah what Am I making certain power invisible here? Mm-hmm. Why why is it feeling less like that?
4: Yeah,
0: I um I feel like I used to struggle with this more, and now y'all are making me think I should struggle with it more again. Um, because I I guess I just see it as like a you know like the, a sort of dialectical dilemma of like yeah on like you started with it, Kara. Of like on the one hand, you I mean nobody would like come to you for help if they didn't believe that there was some sort of it doesn't have to be a hierarchical thing, but there's something. Special and different about there's there's knowledge and experience and maybe I mean from a professional professionalist point of view it's like the credentials actually mean that you actually are more likely to help more than like talking to your aunt or your the guy on the subway or like you know what I mean like like there's a you know it is a service it is a professional service and it is a healthcare service um, so there's that like people come to you with that assumption and and if they're paying out of pocket or if they're or if they're if they have to send a super bill to to insurance or something it's like well you you kind of like better fucking help right like why the fuck would i be paying you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. um but on the other yeah it's weird because sometimes like i mean i found that if i so i was sort of the most the modality wise i was trained in a dbt dialectical behavioral therapy more than anything Mm -hmm. else which is actually super well it is very dialectical but like it is super like homework driven. You're supposed to give like what's called diary cards where people actually track their emotions and problem behaviors and prompting events and skills. Like they're circling things and checking boxes and they're going to skills groups and stuff. And it's like a shit ton of homework and like behavioral analysis and stuff like that. And so I actually found 90% of the time, if I went in guns blazing, like here's the check boxes that you're going to have to do as me as your therapist and stuff. Cause that's kind of what I was told to do. I mean, you want to do rapport building and stuff, but I found that, like 90% of the time people would just like never do it and they'd kind of get weird. They'd be like, uh, no. So like I found that it's actually, for me, it's sort of easier like after doing the intake process and assessment and everything sort of like a, Hey, we're just friends. I'm going to talk to you for a few weeks and we're just going to like kind of talk man that like actually having an orientation toward like we're just kind of getting to know each other. Yeah. Um, and then easing toward like, maybe more directive like encouragement suggestions, directives or whatever. Only if it's done collaboratively, like, hey, so I'm able to do like this, I can play this role. Like usually mm-hmm. I name roles. Like I can play the role of someone that literally just listens to you once a week. And if you think that's what's most helpful, I'm gonna do that for you. Um, let's talk about that. I can play like a teacher role. I can like mm-hmm. teach you stuff about like the brain and emotions and crap. And I can get on a whiteboard and stuff. Like does that seem like it'd be helpful? Yeah. I can also be like a sort of behavioral coach where I can be like, well your goal four days a week less this week than the next week or you know and like yeah. i might just be like based on your di- anyway so i try to like establish that but like because i feel like if you are collaboratively deciding for you to be a more directive person that seems more hierarchical then it's not as hierarchical mm-hmm. it's almost like you've been elected into a position you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so yeah. like and sometimes that is what people want i used to see a personal trainer legal like, therapist and stuff and he was like do this many sit-ups and do that many And I was like, okay, boss, thank you. Um, But I was consenting to to that.
4: Um, Yeah. Right. I I think sometimes um, people who don't share the political tendency of of non hierarchical uh, socialism, Mm -hmm. you know, folks who who wouldn't label themselves as anti authoritarian or libertarian socialists or kind of the, the related semantic words, do sometimes struggle with this idea of like, why is non-hierarchy important? And like, isn't it often inefficient and ineffective, right? Like, wouldn't it be better just to kind of like, understand and assume that like human beings always have and always will kind of function in hierarchical relations to each other. So there, there can be a lot of kind of uh, squabbling over that issue. And I think one thing that is sometimes misunderstood is when we talk about non-hierarchy, we're not not saying that no one ever learns anything from someone else. We're not saying that no one is ever able to offer direction or advice to someone else. Um, We're really saying that who you are as a person is uh, assumed to be of equal value to who I am as a person. And we're going to try to figure out a way to relate to each other uh, accordingly. But if you happen to know something that I don't know, then it would be actually of interest to me to approach you and ask if you're willing to teach me that thing, right? That would be a good use of, of my time and yours potentially, right? Or if you are in a situation where you have knowledge or experience that I don't have, it wouldn't make any sense for me to... Uh, to kind of um, impose myself and, and say like, no, I'm going to take up just as much space as you do. I'm going to spend just as much time as you are spending doing this thing. So I think, I think sometimes we can get a little hung up on kind of what non-hierarchy means in practice. And in the therapeutic context, I really like this idea, Max, of, of kind of making the roles more explicit and negotiating them together more deliberately. I think that is the way to do it. I don't, I don't know if everyone's always ready for that conversation on day one, right? Um, I think sometimes there is kind of an easing into the therapeutic relationship, kind of like finding that way of talking and working together that works. Um, but I, I would say that I also uh, practice in that way of, of highlighting and making visible those roles Uh, with the idea that that our work can actually be more collaborative and and more effective together by doing that. Mm -hmm.
2: Something I've been trying to work out is uh, this, and Billy, I think we were talking about this not too long ago, like this idea of um, kind of... are my politics if if i bring politics into the therapy session particularly with someone who doesn't already identify as like an anti-capitalist leftist am i using my position of power to you know push some agenda um Mm -hmm. even if i in the moment i'm like i really feel like these these concepts have have the potential to highlight something that could could be really healing for this person Um, and then i was thinking like well I don't. I don't worry about if I'm pushing an agenda when I tell a person that their partner absolutely should not hit them. <laughs> um, I'm not. I'm not worrying about if you know if, if I'm using my power unfairly there. Um, so that that's the, This is just kind of an open question that I've been wanting to explore more of. of how how do I um, how do I talk about my politics in session and um, and the the ideas that I've benefited from.
0: I just have That's to so say that. Oh.
3: No, you go, Max. Do
0: one it. Se- one sentence. I can do it. <laughs> Being a co-host of this podcast makes me terrified for that exact reason. Mm-hmm. Every single time we publish a new episode. Right. That's it.
3: Wow. Go on, Car. Oh my gosh. I'm, like, blanking. Now I'm thinking about what you said, and I'm forgetting what I was going to say. Oh, I'm sorry. <gasps> no, no. Not at all. It's so interesting because... You know, being yourself establishes so much trust between people. And you can think of this in, I think, therapy and outside of therapy. Like, so Juliet, when you say, like, I can absolutely objectively say, like, your partner shouldn't hate you, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. But what's interesting is I'm wondering where, you know, our, like, professionalism sometimes gets in the way of that. And the way we're trained as quote unquote professionals gets in the way of that and your individuality and the trust that comes from your individuality. Mm. Mm.
2: Yeah. I just think about it. Yeah, yeah,
3: absolutely. I think about
0: effectiveness sometimes. Well, this is, okay, so this is like a sneaky thing, I guess, like where sometimes in the back of my head, this is a little bit of a DBT training thing too. Actually I use like self-harm, I guess trigger warning self-harm, like self-harm is a thing because DBT works specifically with a lot of kind of self-harm, suicidal behaviors. And in my training, it was like, so when you do kind of, when you get a client that is engaging these behaviors in from the DBT lens, you are actually in the back of your head, you're trying to figure out, and this is actually kind of similar to a labor organizer, a similar kind of organizer, you already sort of have a goal. And you are already sort of imposing a goal on the person. Mm -hmm. And the goal is for them to not kill themselves. And subsequently, since self-harm behavior is you know, we call it parasuicidal behavior. although i I actually feel like that should be debated, but um but that it's parasuicidal behavior since you actually want to get a reduction down to like a n- never ever like self-harming again kind of thing, right? But at least that was the training is like you wanna in the back of your head, you don't run in guns blazing like I'm gonna make sure you never kill yourself or um or, or cut yourself. But you're actually sort of employing strategies that are supposedly the most effective to get there without directly saying, hey, I'm going to get you to not cut anymore. Um, and I guess this is just coming up because there is a power dynamic thing and a professionalism. There's all, all the things we just talked about tied into that. And there's like an ethical question on some level. Um, and this this is like probably a whole other podcast, podcast episode. But is it even ethical to try to get someone to not kill themselves to begin with? Um, and And... That like that is also because from an existential therapy point of view, that shouldn't at all be like mm-hmm. at all. But then there's insurance companies and there's liabilities. And there's like if someone killed themselves under your care and then you get sued and you go to court and they're like, it was your fault. Yeah. And now you lose your license. Like all yeah. those things are hovering over us. And so um, so even like whatever. So this goes back to like, you know, domestic violence as well. I Actually, there's similar things where it's like you could not be directive about it. You could have in the back of your head. You're like, I'm going to get her to leave. And find a safer thing or something, or Mm -hmm. something, right, Mm -hmm. or them to leave. Um, So -hmm. I don't know. Anyway, that was just a rant. I don't know if y'all have like
2: totally. You also can't get someone to leave capitalism because no one, no one that we work with can.
0: Sure, sure. Yeah, Max. My job
3: would be easier. If I didn't have to employ eighth grade algebra all the time.
4: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Those are really good questions. And I do find myself thinking about, I sometimes find myself thinking about what, what is my investment in this person staying alive? Mm -hmm. Is that a purely kind of noble and good intention? Mm -hmm. Um, Is there some cost to that person's uh, agency and autonomy, in in that uh, kind of being being the goal that is, or or the objective that is that is always kind of uh, held over and above all others. Um, so these are these are questions that I allow myself to privately have, and continue to toe the line uh, as as it is kind of currently laid out uh, to make that the priority. I think. I think I would feel more comfortable, kind of thinking about that more critically, um, if if there were a different kind of environment, um, a different regulatory environment. You know, if if there if there weren't fears about losing one's license for for kind of uh, asking open-ended, critical questions about that. So, yeah. Um, but I am, you know, I, I do. Like I, I stumbled across a discussion on Twitter recently about the anti-natalist movement, which is basically people saying, "I did never choose to be born. oh, right. right? <laughs> like i did i didn't I didn't necessarily want to be here, so shouldn't it be my choice as to how long I continue? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. so i think I think there's really interesting theoretical basis for those questions and that's not the kind of thing that clinicians are usually allowed to entertain or think about very much
2: right
4: y'all i need to jump off of here and just i actually have a client call i have to do at the top of the hour okay Okay. um so should we is there any max is there anything that we need to say in terms of like an outro
0: yeah i mean um juliet gave the plug if y'all want to um you know, you can do another outro kind of, I guess just like closing statements, closing thoughts on, um, yeah, what would you want listeners to to take away from all of this? I guess the totality of all the conversations we just had. For,
3: for me, my big thing is, you know, there are so many regulatory things that not only hinder your ability to do your job and help your clients, but also hinder your individuality. And then what I see more with what I do here is there's a lot of like fiscal reservations, um, especially around starting a co-op because even if you are anti-capitalist, the reality is we live in a capitalistic society and you do kind of have to keep the boat afloat unless you're incredibly privileged. So the point I wanna drive home is that there is kind of, at least what we're finding a magic bullet, there is a way to have your autonomy and a way to practice the way you want to and still comply enough with regulations to be legally viable and keep that boat afloat. So don't be scared of the co-op. The,
4: the cooperative ownership model is relatively uncommon in the United States compared to other places around the world. And we should not understand that fact to mean that it's not working. <laughs> uh we, we, we should not attribute that to, to any kind of questions or problems with the model itself, but, but rather see that as the function of neoliberal capitalism at work. Of course, we wouldn't know that it was possible to organize in this way. Of course, we wouldn't know that it was possible to experience so much vibrancy and livelihood and humanization in the workplace, uh, capitalism would want us to actually never stumble across that information so this model is absolutely viable it does take a bit of effort it does take a a bit of self-education to kind of figure out how it works and i would say the most important factor is just the willingness to trust your comrades that that really has been the key ingredient that has allowed this to work for us so if anyone is listening to this and thinking of starting something like this, if you can find people that you trust, that's probably going to ensure success more so than any other factor.
2: I would, my, my uh, closing statement would be uh, to therapists, healers, uh, mental health workers, health workers out there um, who are interested in working cooperatively we need you. Uh, we need you so much, <laughs> and we we're so um, excited for for this to be a thing that that more people do. Um, and we're we are really excited to be a resource, and also like way more excited to receive uh, skill sharing and knowledge sharing from from others who do experiment with this in their particular contexts, with their lived experiences, with their work experiences. Um, to, to hear what y'all figure out. Um, and we'd love to, to be in contact with you. We want to federate with you. Um, we, we want to, to really create something together. Um, so we, we just want to, we want to be available for that. And um, there's, there's just so much more knowledge that is already out there that we can sense on a, metaphysical level um that is way 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 broader than anything that we've shared today um and that we're we're really hoping that having put this out there we'll will kind of get get in touch with that more
0: Woo-hoo! um it was it was cool talking to y'all while being able to see you too it was the first time we have ever done it for the podcast i'm glad we solved the the tech issues it was a pleasure to meet all of you again well especially you, ucaric because i already met the other two so hello. Hi. Um, thank you for helping keep the boat afloat and all that kind of stuff and the really, really important knowledge you, you have and, and carry with the co
1: op. Thank you. Okay.
4: Thanks, y'all. Right. Bye. Right. Bye everybody.
1: Bye. Bye.